Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, this week we have a very special guest. And his name is John Cena! <laughs> um yeah it's not actually john cena but it is our very first virtual guest that we did over um the phone and his name is dr lu wing he is an epigeneticist and this is an absolutely insane podcast it is pretty heady but he um marries science and theology in an incredible way um so sit back grab a coffee or whatever i don't drink coffee but i'll grab a coke zero and enjoy you're listening to the all-out war podcast well hello all-out warriors welcome to another episode of all-out war we are in the studio and we have another exciting episode i'm so excited about this one today steven man how you doing brother i'm doing well how are you yeah, I am. I just asked you that, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm doing good, man. I had a little bit of sickness last week. Um, we we don't know what it was. It could have been food poisoning. It could have been my diverticulitis. It could have been the the flu. We don't know, and it's still a mystery because I never got a fever. Mm-hmm. But man, I was evacuating from every every <laughs> every possible orifice. So, <laughs> anyways, that's too much information, I suppose. It's <laughs> uh, all right, man. So uh, we, that's one of the reasons. And I, then I was out of town. So we missed a whole week mm-hmm. on the podcast. And so I want to encourage everybody. We're doing our series on End Times. We talked about the Four Horsemen last week, and uh, in particular, the White Horse. And uh, so go back and listen to that if you're interested in End Times stuff. We're kind of having fun doing that. I'm definitely enjoying it. Yeah, but, I am as well. Yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, finishing out that series in the next couple. It's going to be an open-ended thing. So, you know, we, we probably, don't know how many. Yeah. How many just depends yeah so anyway so uh so what do you know man oh hey uh i'm not sure how uh, i'll start it off with this did you know (laughs) that tupac the rapper yeah was a was the was a ballerina what yeah that's such that blew my mind because he's so hard yeah yeah so he went to the baltimore school of the arts and yeah he's an east coast guy yeah he's east coast well yeah he was born in uh Baltimore? I thought he was like an L.A. rapper. Or he was from New York and then lived in Baltimore, grew up in Baltimore. And then, yeah, he went to the, when he started rapping, he went to California. Nice. And uh, totally, yeah, because the whole rivalry, he was like the West Coast. And then, you know, Biggie and Jay-Z and all them were um, East yeah. Coast. But he, yeah, he was, he's from the East Coast. <laughs> and he did ballet. He did, uh, yeah, at the, they, they put on a production of the Nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> and he played the role of the Mouse King. The Mouse King. Which is a m- main character, and they do a lot of fancy ballerina stuff. So He was multi-talented, man. Yeah. He was getting ready to bust into acting, too, right when uh, when he died. Yeah, there was another one that I brought up that he was supposed to play. Uh, he was going to be cast in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, man. he died. Another one died too soon, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, if he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the legend of Elvis. Yeah. Well, we've got an awesome podcast this episode. I'm really excited, man. And and we have a 
an amazing person. He's on the line, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be taking an entire episode to dedicate to an emerging science. And it kind of fits in with some of our Brave New World stuff that we were talking about in our previous episodes where we were talking about AI and the human genome and all of, like, where is technology and where is medical, where are these things going in the future? And it can be kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the this field of medicine that uh, our guest is in right now is uh, micro or uh, epi- epigenetics. Ep- epigenetics. Yeah. It's Dr. Lou Wing. He's a pastor. He's a friend of mine. And uh, he graduated from San Francisco University in cell biology, and then he completed his PhD in biochemistry at University of Aberdeen, Scotland, Mm -hmm. which sounds just amazing alone right there. (laughs) And he's currently uh, on staff working with a church down in San Diego, California. And he's also, he works for a toxicology consultant in biopharmaceutical industry with Cardinal Health in San Diego. And um, so he's an amazing guy. And I just want to introduce Dr. Lou Wing. Lou, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you, Turner. Appreciate it. Man, I cannot tell you how awesome it is to have you and to hear you hear your voice on the other end of this line. And just yeah. to, to have you on this podcast. And if you if this goes well, I'm just gonna warn you, you may have a semi permanent position with us. <laughs> Bring it on. We, we need <laughs> we need somebody to give us some kind of validation. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean anybody who can bring up the ballet-ness of Tupac. I mean, come on, that's huge energy. <laughs> Amazing. I never knew that. Wow. I mean, that's like huge. Yeah. I mean, it's it kind of, it's kind of in line with what we're going to talk about in a second, anyway. So exactly. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and um, and then let's jump in, man. Let's let's not waste any more time. Absolutely. Well, yes, I, as you said, I'm consulting in toxicology and I'm a pastor and, you know, those kind of those two worlds, you never really see nature and nurture ever collide. Right. And they've usually been in completely different worlds. However, you know, it just to, to sort of bring it all to the, the roots, this field of epigenetics has fascinated me. And I'll kind of go into what it actually is in a moment, but what it actually has done with my career is I, in toxicology, have had a fascination with gene toxicity, i.e. drugs that affect the genes of our body and how we can ultimately escape cancer or any other sort of aberrant forms of DNA. And that being the case, there's a whole field of genotoxicity. And I developed a test for genotoxicity testing. And it was just how the gene sequence is altered by a drug. And then realizing that, that, you know, hang on, there's, there's something that happens with just the sequence of a gene. Because a gene is really meaningless unless it's the word is expressed. That right. means the gene produces a protein. And we all kind of remember that from our dark years of when we had to take biology. <laughs> but the, the truth is, you know, that the miraculous nature of how that actually happens of DNA becoming an RNA, which becomes a protein. I mean, that in and of itself is just mind-boggling how that actually happens. But mm-hmm. the, the reality of it is, is that as you remember from Jurassic Park, you remember the little A, T, G, and C and all that stuff, you know, that's sort of like the sequence of DNA. Right. But it's with it's within the C's of it all, the cytosines. Those particular chemicals can get what's called methylated. In other words, a chemical, a carbon with three different hydrogens, that's a methyl group, can be attached to one of the cytosines. Oh, jeez. And, and, if, and if that happens, which it does, it's what can alter the way a gene is expressed. For example, 
all of the DNA of the mother of a, a woman's egg has no methyl groups on any of it. And the sperm of the man has all the methyl groups attached to its cytosine. So when the egg and the sperm combine, these methyl groups are positioned in a variety of places on all the genomes so that when the genes are expressed in the zygote and as the zygote develops into the various stages of the different you know, embryology, all of that, that one single cell that had all the same gene or the same um, methylation is what it would be called, is now going to differentiate into 210 different cell types. And the differentiation of the cell, cell types is all based on epigenetics. So it's the sequence is, in other words, the sequence would be considered the hardware like a computer yeah, hardware, yeah, and the epigenetics would be considered the software. Okay. Oh, awesome. Okay, so this is right. So epigenetics is actually what is written on the actual cell. Like, well, it, it's what makes the cell unique. For example, the difference between a liver cell and a neuron—they have the exact same sequence of DNA, but an entirely different gene expression, which is based on the epigenetics. Gotcha. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Okay. This this is yeah. a personal question. So I had a I about a year ago I had stem cell therapy in my lower back. I have uh, bad discs in my L three L four, and yeah. so they extracted out of my hip, uh, and spun it out, and then then they use an, an epidural to put it in and inject these stem cells into my L three L four disc to try and help right. recover it. And they just like overloaded it with these white stem. I guess whatever the stem cells were. But I yeah. asked them why they wouldn't. Because I said, hey, can I get like, they have, you can get cells from different other parts, you know, and they said, we want to get it from your body because it'll match up perfectly. But these stem cells will, they'll actually become the cells that they need to be to repair and grow. Right. So they were like almost like unassigned or something like that. Is that what exactly? Was... Exactly. They're they're what are called undifferentiated cells. They're exactly the point that I'm making right here is that those are undifferentiated. It means that there's those cells have not been communicated what to be. So there's things called growth factors that turn on specific genes in those cells to become the cells that would be in your, they could be given anywhere in your body, but they've become now neural tissue. And they differentiate into that, which is, that's the whole process of differentiation of cells is how the genes are turned on and it's based on the way the genes are expressed within those cells wow. and that would be called the epigenetics so we have the human genome now we have the human epigenome <laughs> and learning where wow. those methyl groups are all positioned so each person has what would be considered a methylscape in other words you have a literal methylscape it's like <laughs> a barcode that's unique to your cell type sounds like and you're busting on somebody well, yet seriously, <laughs> here's the most amazing part about this, is that it isn't static, i.e. those methyl groups can change. Meaning that, like for example, a traumatic experience, like let's say it could be anything from a rape to a 9-11 to a, a starvation to however, whatever traumatic experience one has, the methyl groups can change, and those alterations can affect the outcome, i.e., 
the post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, or wow. attachment disorders. And the roots of these diseases are called epigenetic-related disorders. So Whoa. one of the classic ones is addictive behavior. That's a classic one. And, and how we understand the way these methyl groups are attached or detached is really the core of how that behavior is either altered or can be considered normalized. And this is why, I mean, for a classic example is the big issue that's been over homosexuality yeah. because they've been starving. The, the, the gay community has been starving to look for a gene for homosexuality, just like alcoholism. There's gotta be a, a, a gene for alcoholism. Well, the, the issue now is that it is an epigenetic disorder, i.e. homosexuality is not a gene, it's an epigene, epigenetic, meaning that there has been an alteration in the lifestyle of some form that has predisposed the individual to same-sex behavior. Hmm. So and there are specific genes that would be related to that. Th that's First of all, that's incredible. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I have a question for you now, because as you're talking, like things are popping up. So yeah. is it possible then for epigenetics to not only be moved into one on like through a traumatic event, it can be morphed or changed or written. Is it possible for it to be rewritten or repaired? Is that absolutely. And that's the key. Absolutely. And this is the issue right here is that, for example, anxiety during pregnancy, a classic example, can lead to asthma in the children. Hmm. Poor, poor eating habits of a mother, for example, can lead to heart problems in their children. Yeah. So the, the, these these phenotypic changes can be related to not just the the maternal issue, but believe it or not, this can happen through generations. I.e., my grandparents' alcoholism can affect me, yeah. even my great grandparents. So when we talk about the sins of the father, there are issues here because that could be related to the epigenetic alterations. For example, the, the children that were from the Holocaust victims have a dramatic alteration in their not only addictive behavior, but many with PTSD, and most of them are traced back to parents that went through Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is why it, it comes right down to some of these issues that we've had in terms of original sin, for example. Right. You think about it from Adam and Eve, I mean, how there's no gene for original sin, but the epigenetics would certainly correlate with that because the behavior related to that original sin can be passed down. <laughs> so, you know. So it's not just a learned thing where, oh, I saw my dad drink, so I'm gonna right. drink. It, there, there's literally a, procli a proclivity to drink that's been written deep inside somehow on this, right. through the epigenetics. I, I was going right. to I have kind of an off topic, but I think it, it may sound completely stupid. And if it is, it, if it doesn't I'll count. Tell, I'll tell you if it is. Okay. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so I was going to say, like, one of these things that you hear in kind of like mythology about um, when, it, when it relates to like folklore of... Um, you know, like vampires or certain creatures that, uh, you know, the mythos has been, you know, passed down from generations to generations like this, uh, I guess, kind of going back to Adam and Eve, like mm -hmm. there's an aversion, even babies are born, they don't like snakes, or they're kind mm -hmm. of scared of things. Um, I don't know that maybe they've never experienced before. And, mm -hmm. you know, the first time they see a snake, 
or it's something. Like an, it's like an inherited awareness. Yeah, like that they that. stay away yeah. from it. Is do you think that has any? Is that, that just a, yes? As a matter of fact, the number of behaviors that are a sort of a predisposition of human behavior is definitely related to that. And matter of fact, behavioral um, disorders are really the way you trace that. And what again, it, it kind of goes. We talk about addictive behavior, substance use disorders, and so on. Those are all a predisposition. You can kind of take it back to Augustinian and Aquinas, this whole idea of habit right. and how habit is sort of like the, the insulation of who we are and how habit is formed not only in you know the, the way we sort of live our lives out from the very minutia to the big grandiose decisions we make, is that all of those have their foundation in not only our experience, but how the dynamics of these, not only methylation, but there's also some of the chromosomal changes we call those histone acetylation. And then we even have RNAs that can affect the way the genes are expressed and the way the chromosomes are also altered in, in some fashion. So wow. the, 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 this, the, the beautiful thing about this is, is that when you look through this through the lens of theology and understand some of these words like sanctification, mm -hmm. what is happening genetically with sanctification then? <laughs> because clearly, if you think about it from that perspective, is that, you know, obviously we can't change our genetic code because that's that's inherent. That's something that isn't altered. Mm -hmm. There's never mutations happen in our DNA. That's why this whole concept is so profoundly against ev evolutionary thinking. It's oh, not even man. a subject that's even brought up in this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Lamarckian was really the Lamarck concept of, you know, the strong, longer than neck giraffe kind of thing, adapting right. to its environment. This is exactly what it is, is environment driving our genetic or epigenetics and how we actually respond to our environment. So, so for example, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it can happen from a variety of different situations. Yeah. So you're, basically what you're saying is this, the, the whole idea of adaptation is a exactly. legitimate it's a legitimate thing but evolution is not because of the fact that this is how epigenetics works it's, exactly it's disproven exactly. do you think uh, evolution is going to be a dead theory in the next 20 years well you will find that over time as sort of the epigenome is realized that you're hearing less and less discussion on how evolution fits into this paradigm. Hmm. And scientists in general are very quiet about the subject. And this say. is why, you know, the human genome project is really meaningless in light of the human epigenome project, hmm. which is here in San Diego. As a matter of fact, I'm part of the San Diego chromatin club, which is part of the epigenome project here. And, you know, I'm telling you, this is this is really the root cause of the opioid crisis, for example. Wow. And we, we talk about, you know, fentanyl and all these you know, be addictive behaviors. It's it's addictive behavior in itself is the essence of what we see with an epigenetic finding mm. with brain derived neurotropic factor, a classic um, growth factor that predisposes into sort of the rep repetitive nature of what happens with addiction is all about how that given gene for that protein has the, 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 the what we call the promoter region for that gene is methylated and what type of experiences we have will allow that gene to either be expressed or not that's why the the whole concept when we say learning and how what learning what the corrected way or or the the way 
that you know is would be considered that's why it's so beautiful about sanctification when the word of god comes into our lives mm. and the power of it, it it the core healing power is within this concept of how god uses methylation and how he allows this to be within our understanding of a holy nature mm. now are we ever going to become absolutely perfect on this planet no as a matter of fact the sin nature will always arise. But you'll notice that there's certain behaviors that are altered, sinful behaviors that are altered, and choices that we make and reasons for those choices are centered around this type of behavior that it, the evidence is becoming even more profound as how this happens from a molecular level. So right. when we talk about, you can even go to this point of like molecular holiness kind of thing, you know? I mean, this whole idea is sort of, is sort of is reaching beyond this nature-nurture idea and that sort of division between the two. It's really the core of when we talk about, you know, and I, and I talk about blood all the time. That's kind of like my passion. But, you know, let's think about it from the theology of blood in, in terms of why blood. Well, it's because blood has this concept of like in leviticus 17 11 it talks about the life of the flesh is in the blood right yeah and it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul for it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It, it, so this whole idea about the the blood soul life all of those use that word nefesh in hebrew mm -hmm. and this this nefesh that soul force that vitality is really the driving force that really causes this concept that we there's enzymes that place this methyl group onto the cytosine and eliminates it. And how that happens and the dynamics between it is all that predisposition to that vital vitality of the individual. So, all right, I got a question for you because you were talking about uh, sanctification and, and so, the, so I've always, I've always viewed, all right, well, all right, let me start, let me go back a little bit, sorry. So yeah. when I was when I received the Lord when I became a Christian I was 17 I was I was heavy drug user uh heavy um you know I was sexually promiscuous uh, any any person that would permit me to have sex I would have <laughs> sex I mean honestly you know that's yeah. how I was driven right but complete flesh right. when I got saved the night I got saved that Wednesday night there was a transformation in my life my heart my mind and mm -hmm. I no longer had even the desire to do drugs. I mean, I was delivered instantly from the moment that I met the Lord, which was really a blessing because I'm a weak person. I think the Lord knew I wouldn't make it <laughs> make it through. Yeah. But was that a did did the Holy Spirit rewrite my my epigenetics in that moment? Like is that what happened? Well, you know, it, 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 the the what happened that's what's so, I mean, as much as I would love to, I, trust me, the temptation is overwhelming for me to just give you a flat out yes on that. <laughs> but, but but what I would, would say is that just from coming from the sort of this biology theology nexus coming in between those two is that the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver you and to begin the process of sanctification there is, when we say we're a new creature in Christ Jesus, all mm. things are passed away, all things are become new, from a biological perspective is when you become a new creature, your DNA methylation regions of given genes that were behavior that was altered are now in the process of being changed, and the choices as much as the devil is a roaring lion and loves to bring those smells back to you, loves mm -hmm. to bring those sights back to you, 
there is this inherent understanding the Holy Spirit uses that that moment to not only cause re recollection, but also to realize that realization that you are a new creature, that you're being trained in holiness with those choices. And that choice is reinforced just like a learning behavior, learned behavior is that you are selecting that good thing. You're understanding the difference yeah. between good and evil. Yeah. And that's when your eyes were open. I strongly believe that when God said, now they have become like one of us, that the gene right there, the altered for humanity. And can you that, repeat that? That Lou, sin nature. Can you repeat that, Lou? You that, broke up that, there for a second. Oh, yeah. When, when in the garden, yes. when God says, now they have become as one of us. There was a, a rewriting of mm. the epigenome, and now all the sin behavior you know, is put all the reform all the beginning as that towards sin. We're born in sin, and it, just like Psalm fifty one five, it says, "In sin did our mother conceive us." Right. So this whole idea that by nature we're children of wrath, literally, and right. with this new this new creature in christ jesus there's a not only a propensity towards holiness but it's learned as we progress that's what the sanctifying process is and so those this when i talk about the methylation your methylscape is is literally you're learning to live within it yeah and you have to cross that boundary of when you have willful sin so yes, when we backslide, there's this, you know, the guilt factor and all that. Genetics of of Jewish guilt is so profound; it's unbelievable. And there's certain <laughs> genes that are related directly to that. Well, this whole concept of guilt comes from the fact that, and I go back to this, this power. I'm seriously the power of the blood, in terms of the old blood of the Jewish belief is different than what it is in Jesus. And how understanding that it's Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross that makes the greatest, most profound. And really, when we talk about the traumatic event that happens when you become a Christian yeah. to our biology, hmm. because you are now altered from a sin propensity to a new nature propensity. And it, it literally is a re-traumatization of your genome. Wow. It's so profound. Oh, my gosh. Well, it what I'm really thinking is. of, I'm thinking as you're talking about Jesus, this just entered my mind. Like, what was his epigenetics like? They must have been perfect. Oh, thank you for asking that. Okay, now, let's, let's <laughs> look from this perspective. Too. Is that when we think about it, when, when if you have an, okay, you know, I mean, this, and this is all hypothetical, but let's, let's look at it this way. If the, there are no epigenetic marks or methylations on a female ovum mm -hmm. then when the holy spirit comes oh, upon mary oh you just blew my it's mind only it's only the paternal <laughs> line so you have the perfect epigenome coming onto this template from the and you're father forming a perfect exactly wow Come off it. <laughs> well, listen, that's been a big debate because a lot of people are saying well wouldn't yeah, i can just say though yeah you there Oh no, dude, we might have lost him. It again? You there? Okay, yeah, you, you keep no, breaking up. Are you moving? You moving around on us? You getting excited? Yo, know, the enemy doesn't want I don't know you. What's going? On. Is it my headphones? Uh, he, well, you just keep. I know he's trying to attack on like crazy. I okay, know. guys, is this any better? I'm that, taking these off. I'm taking these off. 
fuck that's it that you sounded great it was just cutting out that's what it was it was like the signal or something but is this doing any better yeah it sounds great that sounds great let's go with that um but let me what i was gonna say is uh the big debate that i've had with people and especially in the muslim world is people that are in faith with islam is how can god be with mary who's who was sinful Mm-hmm. And then you put that together. Wouldn't that put a nature in Christ that had some kind of sin nature? And so that would be the thing. Before I was going to say one thing, I know that the Catholics teach is that that's why they say that Mary had to have been born of a per- virgin yeah, as well. Perfect. So this is going to blow that out of the water too, isn't it? If you'll notice at this point of the broadcast, we had some weird stuff happening with Lou's signal. We're going to get it all straightened out, and we're going to continue with the podcast, but it's no surprise to me why this happened, because we were talking about the absolute humanity and absolute divinity of Jesus Christ, the only Messiah that's available to mankind. So here's the rest of the story. Hello? Yeah, Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it sounds good. Okay, good. Good. So uh, what what we were talking about, I don't know if you heard, but I was saying a lot of Muslims, and then Stephen added too, the Catholics, they have we haven't they have they say that Mary was perfect because of this. How can you put a a, the Son of God in a vessel that is sinful and be born through that? Wouldn't it Wouldn't it mix with that together? But what you're what you're saying is the epigenetics from the heavenly Father, from from God the Father, would have been perfect without sin, without that nature, without that broken fallenness, and that's how that's because the egg doesn't carry any epigenetics. Right. That 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 is is, as feasible as that is, and and, you know, and, and within the whole concept of you know, Jesus being perfect and then having him come into an ovum that yes, exactly has no genetic epigenetic marks the key is though and i, I kind of i still haven't made a, a, a conclusive statement on this. this is why i'm sort of taking it to my brothers and sisters in the theology arena um as far as as far as the reality of that in ter- and my my gut sense may be that a zygote was what was actually placed into mary and it had no it was like she was literally a womb for rent so, <laughs> a womb for rent. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that's kind of what that's what it, but there's more on that level of. Dude, you at Christmas time you're gonna have to write an article for all your scientist friends. Oh, I've already done that. Oh. Are you <laughs> yes, totally. Oh, that makes me so happy. Oh, yeah. So yeah. So, so I love how you helped me understand like being born again, new creation, and there is a new written epigenetics that comes in that is a physical thing done yeah. by a spiritual power, which would be the Holy Spirit himself, his very hand of God. It's yeah. It's, it's literally like science, again, catching up to what the Bible says. Know, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. And science is now going to learn its lesson and stay under the Word of God instead of trying to supersede it. Right. I was going to say, when we were talking earlier about the evolution, not to bring it all the way back, but yeah. um, what percentage of scientists that are in your specific field of epigenetics that are, um, I don't even want to say creationists, or um, I guess more that even even just saying that, that there's intelligent design, is that more so within the field of science and in particular epigenetics that more, you know, with all these breakthroughs that keep happening, that keep yeah. pointing to, you know. Well, you know, it, that's a great question. And, you know, the, sadly, this the closet scientists who are so afraid right. of losing their, their grant funding 
mm. aren't going to admit to any sort of concept of a theism, mm-hmm. but 99% of them are right. theists, and they all believe that there's something greater because the more we find, the more we, it's so evident that it's just literally Romans 1 20. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> right. And that's why we have to recognize that, you know, within this whole concept of like this world of gene editing, for example. I was going to ask about you know, CRISPR. The, the Chinese right? have just come up with their own new twins. I don't know if you heard about this, but they yeah. just came up with their twins that have been gene edited humans. And they're you know, trying to convince our whole, you know, international bioethics committees that, you know, don't worry, we're going to quarantine them and we won't let them replicate and so on. You know, darn well, they have a whole colony there. Right. However, I, I will say that, you know, within this concept, though, of being able to do CAR-T therapy, I don't know if you've heard of that one before, Mm-mm. but CAR-T therapy is literally the most powerful, and this is not epigenetics, but it, but it's kind of along those lines, is that it is the most powerful new anti-cancer therapy known to man. Why? Because what we're doing, just like you said about your stem cells, Turner, is that now we're taking your T cells, and this is all going to be done in an outpatient clinic, just like you know you would get for chemotherapy. What are we do? What's called a a a plasmapheresis, and now we do leukophoresis, where we take out your white blood cells. Hmm. And those leukophoresis, we take out your T cells, and specifically T cells that have an antigen or on its surface, meaning that these particular cells are the ones that attack the rest of your body. Those are just normal cells. And what they do now is what's called a chimeric antigen T cell (laughs) therapy. That means that they're going to attach, they're going to get the gene-related to your cancer and they're going to put its gene into this t-cell replace that into your body and that t-cell will attack directly your cancer and kill it amazing and no seriously it's this is like beyond words this is beyond pharmaceuticals i mean i'm literally doing a review on this right now and it's a very thin document because it's kind of bypassed all the pharmaceutical world. And it's literally using all your cells your way. And we're simply putting the pieces in different places. And let me tell you, this it's beyond profound. Now, and it's like a, almost like a godly version of what we would want to do. But you can also see that you can go on Google and you can type in CAR-T therapy kit or CAR-T or gene editing kits. Is this you the same thing? You can buy about 20 bucks and you can actually do it yourself kind oh, of wow. thing at Home Depot. So, you know, <laughs> That's okay. It, I'll pass on that. Right. right? And so you, know, you can buy these things super cheap because it's so easy. So manipulating the human genome is you know, becoming a very easy thing. Here's the key. It's the epigenome you can't mess with mm-hmm. because there's something about the way DNA methylation works that you cannot orchestrate it. There's something driving that distinction. And that's where we meet God, literally in the body. Yeah, right. So, you know, that, I'm telling you, I look at it, if nothing else, this is why I, after I had my, my abstract rejected three different times, the Drug Information um, Association on Epigenetics, I finally went and gone back to my, actually, my alma mater. I'm at, at Aberdeen University right now, and I'm doing a distance learning, master's in theology, and I'm doing it all on the biological 
and the theological basis of spiritual transformation. And it's literally all about the epigenetic transformation that occurs, particularly with addictive behavior. I'm picking that one because it's really the most profound effect. Also PTSD, which is a, a similar yeah. pathway, similar genes. And this is kind of the way it's going to go, is that scientists are going to get so fed up with the way the scientific community wants to utilize their tools their way when you know what the tools are screaming back at them let me let go yeah let go well, let it right you so, know anyway. I, so i had a it's amazing that you say that because i i had actually was doing a um and first of all you got to write a book so <laughs> i'm doing that's what my thesis is gonna be <laughs> okay so literally. can i get a signed copy when you do that uh, well maybe no, joking, yes, <laughs> and, and maybe we'll have you come back on when that's done and we can there have you a, go. like a really great discussion about it but yeah. um so uh so I, I i was talking to a guy today he's you know what a futurist is i don't know if you've heard of a futurist yeah of course yeah so this guy was uh, visiting our church today and i had a conversation with him and he said there was four great techno uh, uh information ages that we've lived that we've been through you know the first one was being able to write the second one yeah. was the concept of scrolls paper and papyra the third was the printing press but the yeah. fourth one is this digital age of information. And, yeah. and basically what he said is the thing that's so unique about the digital age of information is that everything is customizable. And so yeah. like literally you have your own, your own screensaver on your phone, you have your own music, you have everything is literally customizable. And so what I'm hearing here is that in this, and it just made me think of it when you were speaking, that everything that we're talking about here with this genome and being able to sequence things and to bring about a better, you know, health state of an individual is yeah. customization. Yeah, and exactly. It's kind of scary on one side because you could be really nefarious and be like these Chinese, you know, which I don't trust if I'm just being honest with you. No. I would no. believe they were trying to make a superhuman race. Well, I was going to say, know. the Chinese babies that you were talking about, were those the ones that they tried to um, – I read an article and it said they were trying to change the gene so they were immune to HIV. And yeah. then it coincidentally, like – Made them smarter. Made, made, made them smarter. Their eye, it's something with their the capacity to learn and retain information was also altered or oh, yeah. made better. And what, think about that for a second. Mm. Think about the way, what's that saying to us? That you went after one or two genes thinking that's all that you, and you only just messed with one. Mm -hmm. And look at how many other genes were affected. That's why when we start editing the genome, we're going to see an entirely mind-boggling change mm. because there is no such thing as we have found out one gene one protein mm -hmm. we've got six billion base pairs that make up a single strand of dna <laughs> in one cell six billion and there's only twenty thousand genes now you tell me is that the rest of that junk dna no all of that dna that we used to call junk is expressed and it's also in the terms of what we call non-coding RNAs. And those non-coding RNAs, we're finding an entirely new world of how they function. It isn't just to do protein translation or transcription or any of that. It has everything to do with what we're talking about here as far as epigenomics and how the epigenes are altered with RNAs. So, you know, I, I can tell you that 
you know, the more we mess with the genome, the more we're going to pay the dear price of the epigenome. <laughs> so this is where the, the whole world is going right now. Why there's the big confusion? Because they're trying so desperately to turn down the volume on epigenetics. And I'm telling you, that's why the Drug Information Association did not want my paper. And there's a number of reasons why a number of the organizations don't want it. In Northwestern University in the middle of June, I'm going to be presenting another paper at the um, epigenetics and gene editing meeting. And then at the um, Tyndale Fellowship in Cambridge, I'm going to be presenting this at their um, annual their, their fellowship that they have every year in Cambridge. And this is where the theologians are going to come in. I'm just ecstatic about that because I can tell you the minute people start to get this into the theology, yeah. this is going to potentially so much more of a connection to what science is finding, but also a validation of it's kind of like when we finally figured out that archaeology can really help us. Yeah, right. And only just <laughs> that it's interesting. Well, it's the same thing that's happening with molecular biology. It's an asset, not a liability. So it's not something to run away from and put them in a separate building. It simply is a reinforcement of all. It's not going to replace the word of God. It's a wonderful thing to see how it's validated in so many areas in our lives. So, you know, God's given us creativity for a reason, not to just shut the science out and just look at us like from the devil, but God created it. He <laughs> uses it, you know, and he wants to, it's for his glory. And when it's for his glory, I can tell you, it's absolute majesty of his presence. Mm, right. You know, when we get to recognize him down to the very molecular level of our beings, I mean, what does that do to your faith? Honestly, right. it just, it, it causes it to be explosive. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why Psalm 139 is so powerful as well, because, you know, he does know, you know, I just, anyway. All that's within me, right? You kind of got me, me right? a carbonated moment here, so, <laughs> you know, whatever. I was going to ask, uh, maybe getting to kind of like the weirder, a weirder question again. Um, yeah. So, how does this um, kind of line up with, and it may not, again, I'll just use it as a preface. So, like, when Jesus was able to walk on water, or change water to wine does that have yeah. anything like does that have anything to do with the the genome like was you know in order f did something happen that he was able to control i know water doesn't have genes you know stuff like that but does that play into anything or does it have to do with miracles that he created uh, he performed or well, anything does that okay i yeah that's a great question question uh, the, the things like walking on water I mean, Jesus was demonstrating that his, you know, omniscience, his power, his knowledge, his, you know, is over, can overcome even, you know, hydrogen bonding of right. water molecules, right? <laughs> I mean, so his whole capacity was beyond concept, even the thought of that even being an occurrence. Mm -hmm. But what's the, the deepest, most profound of them all is when Jesus cleanses a leper. Now, you just unpack something. I, this is going to take me three more hours to talk about <laughs> Is that why was the leper leper never healed? He was only cleansed. You will never find one time when a leper was ever healed. What does that mean? Interesting. And why was he called to go and show himself to the priest? This the, the profound nature of Mycobacterium leprae. I'm just saying this because you know this microorganism. Once it goes, it's most likely it's going to be in that it's inhaled and it's a respiratory issue. Right. It gets into a macrophage, it gets taken to peripheral neurons, and it attacks that, that, that the cell, the microorganism, secretes a compound that alters, so here you go, 
the growth factors, the differentiating factors of Schwann cells. I mean, that, those are the insulator cells mm -hmm. on neurons. Mm -hmm. And what it causes them to do, here you go, it causes those cells to de-differentiate. I'm not kidding you. And those cells mm -hmm. actually become stem cells. Wow. <laughs> and they become migratory. And this is where the nodules come from because they're aggregates of de-differentiated Schwann cells. And again, they also de-differentiate adipose tissue. So what, what, was it, what am I saying here? I'm saying that the de-differentiation of these cells is what this pathology is of mycobacterium leprae. And I, look at that, that. That's a whole chapter that I'm doing right now. And I'm telling you that how profound is that? Right. Is that that the essence of sin, the so, essence of what anyway. So, so. I, so I'm going to can I piggyback a question with that? Yeah. So what about like a situation like a healing of a blind man or Here you go. or or even like someone that was an invalid? Yeah. With, with similar situation, similar. Right. Well, process. the whole okay, the mycobacterium leprae. That's the, that's the only one that does that. Because that's a but skin any disease. Other, yeah. other types of healings, though, any kind of pathologies that Jesus healed, clearly he altered the methylscape. Mm. And, and that one, if whether it be from a pathogen or whether it be from a genetic disorder or anything like that, Jesus was displaying his ability not only to go down to the molecular level. But he alters it and he puts it literally an entirely new methylscape. So that's why the big question is why what difference is there between that event and the beauty of salvation? Because mm -hmm. they both have comparable molecular events of an alteration or a traumatic alteration to our methylscape. That's mm -hmm. the bottom line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's incredible, man. Yeah. I, I, that's the best. I love that. <laughs> I know that. It really is. Man, uh, uh, I'm, uh, my, I'm trying to wrap my mind around some of this right now. Uh, so <laughs> I have another question for you. And this is just so I'm so maybe this is just my my uh, kind of tendency to be more spiritual is yeah. so can. And is there some sort of spiritual connection in any way where this would like even from like the enemy um, where like we see a demon possession or something yeah. like that, where they can yeah. actually alter a person's physical appearance or yeah. some of that? Is that is that in affecting the the whole epigenetic, you know, scripting there or? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, think about it. With the man filled with stuff with like this, how many demons did he have? The, oh, guy the, the Legion, yeah. Yeah, Gadarene and all that. Well, this, this, yeah, Legion, right? So demon possession, behavioral disorder of some form, and an extreme of that, you know, that absolutely is a complete alteration. Mm. And but, but, but it's interesting, it never alters it to the better. In other words, right. it's it's literally a cause of a, a harm, and the harm that is that he causes is interestingly a harm that can happen, whether it be something a little more benign than that that doesn't look like a demonic disorder, but it could be something like and I don't even want to put it in the same category, but if you think about something like autism or PTSD or something like that, there's an alteration. Now, is that demonic? It's part of our fall and of the original sin. It's, mm. it's, it's our fallen nature. And 
I would love to say that, you know, everything, there, there's good and bad on the planet, yes. But when we think about it from this molecular perspective, is that all that, all the methylations is driven by something. And in the spiritual realm, however God allows it or doesn't allow it or lets the enemy have territory or however he does God is sovereign. Amen. We yeah. have to always go back to his attributes that are clearly seen by the things that are made. All things know there is a creator. Right. Yes, there is this, this inherent sin. And yet, though, the most beautiful thing about it is, is that there's only a few of these genes that are passed down in our progeny. But certain genes that are imprinted, mm -hmm. meaning that there are genes that in our family or maybe there's other families that might say implanted genes like, you know, something like congenital hip dysplasia or something like that, that is passed down and it, it is a chromosomal based disorder. Those, those issues, again, go back to however it, the epigenetics works, sometimes there are structural changes. In other words, the gene sequence is unalterable. And as much as we want to do gene therapy to alter that, you know, and the gene therapy issues are trying to change the sequence of DNA more so than we're looking at the epigene. So is that going right? to be like CRISPR, like that technology? Yeah, yeah. CRISPR, good question. CRISPR, caspate, if that's all about gene editing. Okay. So when we want to edit the genome, exactly, you're not editing the epigenome, you're looking at the sequence change. Right. So if I wanted to take out sickle cell anemia from the human race, I would go after a single base pair and alter it, and it would be gone, poop. Mm. But you know what? You alter that one base pair, <laughs> and you can alter several other genes. It's a, it's a butterfly effect. We don't even know yeah, what it could do. Right. You bet. Nailed Man. it. So yeah. let me ask you a question about like in the real world today, like yeah. what would be like in, in, in your mind and in your heart, what would be the greatest thing that epigenetics could, could bring to humanity um, in the world? That's an excellent question. Okay. So from our understanding, any kind of, any type of scientific revolutionary like antibiotics you know, these, any kind of like these landmark events that have happened in the scientific community, it's provided a healing of some form. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when we understand that there is an issue, let's, let's just take PTSD or addictive behavior, for example. If we know, we talk about the ideological, the, the, the origin of that disorder, and we can root it down to an alteration, and we talk about this methylscape, that it is changeable. What are you really saying? I'm saying you are equipped physically to make a change in that. And it's going to cause, it's going to be related to a learning paradigm. Mm. And that, that whole idea of behavioral change and or a, like an asthma, for example, something that's going to um, predispose one to a, a, not only altering that, but being able to learn to do something new. It changes when we start to think and realize that there is a not only a God involved in this, but how do we tag this process? In other words, if we can get a greater understanding of the initiator of how epigenetics actually works in terms of how does DNA, the, the enzyme that's related to this is called DNA methyltransferase. It's DNMT, 
one and a three A one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but the way that enzyme works is that it something is driving it, and I convinced that the way to understand that is where the theology comes in when we realize that it's in him we live and move and have our being and the way the god almighty works is within that vitality that that when we talked about nefesh a few moments ago how the presence of god potentiates that hmm. and we'll see a longing to know how god works within this and this is going to get our our humanity more interested or more reliant or or longing aware, for a aware, god yeah. because we're going to realize that there's no other form there's no nothing else that can predispose to this mm -hmm. and so the more we understand that he's the way the truth and the life the better so so like i'm going to ask a question if you don't want to go there be, for for whatever reason you don't have to sure so say say someone is epigenetically predisposed to homosexuality yeah. And now there's this therapy is, you know, someone because right now the world is saying, no, that's OK. It's not a sin. It's not it's you're born that way, which now it's kind of pointing to that. You know, I never disagreed that they were born that way. I just said it was in their sin nature. Yeah. But what about the therapy for someone to move? You know, if we have that ability mm -hmm. in the epigenetic to in that, you know, to rewrite that landscape. Is yeah. that going to be something that would hap could possibly happen? Well, that's an excellent question, and it you know you can only imagine if those that are struggling or those that are in that behavior and that are just accepted that's just the way I am. Yeah. And how dare you say that to me? And it could be within any human being, whether it be a homosexual, whether it be a business. Let's normalize the behavior in terms of. This is who we are. We all have related methylscapes. Mm -hmm. Now, this individual encounters God. They encounter Jesus Christ. They understand that there is there's a challenge to this. There's one of two things that can happen. This individual is going to be exposed to what would be we would know as the concept of sanctification. That means becoming holy. And that means holy gods. The transformative process will provide enough of the understanding without any kind of bashing of gaze, without any kind of bullhorns. The Holy Spirit's really good at directing individual behavior, not corporate, individual behavior, to know how to not only the same-sex attraction, it's so powerful how God changes and there's plenty of testimonies of this occurs oh yeah changes the persona individually so we often as just as much as any community wants us to lump them all together as a race or a and you know that it's individuals that jesus speaks to mm -hmm. and each one has their own journey and within that that whole process of what it means to be being sanctified is the there's the process in which he is changing them more and more into his nature. And that process is different with every single person. So instead of saying, well, you know what, you do have the ability to change because we know this genetically. Yes, we do know that that possibility in epigenetics, as we understand it, there's no gene, there is an epigenetic issue. And we do know that the imprint, imprinting process is not 
valid within the behavior. However, though, it's not to, it's a, really the key is, it's not to say that this, the individual doesn't have this behavior. It's clearly there. So instead of denying it, we recognize that the power of understanding gene expression and understanding the changeability issue and realizing that changeability is all what the whole process of being a Christian is all about, is that we're being changed constantly. It right. tells us that in Second Corinthians. Yeah. So yeah. I would I would say that, you know, if any if you ever want to have, you know, a call in for people that are struggling with anything like this, even with alcoholism, it's important for us to have this dialogue. Because, yeah. you know, otherwise, this is science that's just going to sit on a shelf and it's going to get buried by the scientific community. The scientific community knows that this is a very plausible answer to issues that it's not that you're a bad, but we all have behaviors that are different. Yeah. And this whole concept of being made holy, some of us don't want to be put into a category. Well, regardless of what we don't want, God loves us too much to keep us the way we are. And we all are going through a process. Well, so, and what's sad is that on the flip side of that, there's people that could go in and epigenetically shape themselves to be homosexual. Well, in, in that case, like reverse, those that have, uh, well, that just and like any choices we make, we can all become alcoholics too. Right, right. yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah, it's, right? the, it's a propensity of evil. To, to be able to use it for good or for bad, I, I guess, is what I'm kind of pointing to. Absolutely. But, man, I mean, to me, that's just an amazing thing. Uh, because, I mean, just a, it's fascinating to me in the, in the topic of homosexuality just because it's, yeah. a, it's a hot topic right now. There's a lot of confusion about all yeah. of this, you know, identity and all of that. But, um, yeah. but to, to know that there's a possibility that you could literally at some point in history, you know, down in the future, make an appointment with a – uh, you know, an epigenetics geneticist and uh, within, you know, an hour walk out and there, you could be on the road to a new, a completely new disposition in that area of your life or anything. I mean, yeah, anything. I mean, well, any locked in like alcoholism or, or, you know, vice. Well, it could be any, almost like, and the, the key is, it's just like, you know, that there's been all this, you know, banning of reparative therapy, for example. Yeah. You know, this, this banning of that, yes, fair enough from an, an, a lack of understanding. But now, instead of it being reparative, it, it has nothing to do with repairing anything. What it really has to do with is transformational therapy. Mm. When we actually are being changed in the image of Jesus Christ, instead of focusing on what the methylscape is, let's look at what and how God wants to redesign your methylscape, literally. And that's, I'm becoming the way he designed me. I'm going I'm to I'm start praying, God, work on my methylscape. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit, go. I give you, you my methylscape. Exactly. <laughs> a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly, he's making us into his image. And he's using such powerful tools to demonstrate that. Yes, his word. Yes, the spirit. Yes, fellowship. But here we go. Molecular biology, too. You know, yeah. it shows us exactly how he actually does this transformation. You know, I, incredible. I, I don't want to stick God into a test tube, but he reveals himself in everything. And this is one of the most beautiful things about how he reveals himself, mm. you know? So, I well, know. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, he's touched everything in creation. So it's some, at some point, it's going to reveal a fingerprint. 
Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. So I'm going to take a little weird shift on you, okay? Okay. So one of our favorite topics that we love to talk about and discuss here on our podcast is the Nephilim from Genesis chapter 6. Okay. And I know, I don't know if you and I have even ever had a conversation about them. Uh, Sure. But um, so is the... so. So from a physiological standpoint, you know, so, all right, first of all, I guess I should say where we are kind of sitting right now is Mm -hmm. that the sons of God and and the daughters of men, we do believe that those sons of God were, you know, Elohim, as it would be, you know, recorded from the Hebrew, meaning they were a created angelic being of some sort and uh, a lesser God, if you will. Mm-hmm. Very powerful, very whatever, you know. And uh, but I do believe that there was some kind of uh, they took women as you know as wives, and and there were offspring, you know, indicated as the Nephilim, which were the giants. Is yeah. <laughs> so from a, a genetic standpoint, epigenetic standpoint. Is have you ever thought about any of that? Like oh, I just I just I'm teaching through Genesis right now at the Bible College. Oh great! I I love this subject, you know, because it's it it is fascinating, and it is fascinating how the whole goal and strategy of the devil yeah. was to totally destroy the human gene. Yes. Goal. Yes. <laughs> and to do so, that would prevent any concept of a Messiah coming. Exactly. So if you could do that, right, that would be the classic way to do it. Now, the challenge with it all, though, is that, yes, God annihilated all of them. And so there was no remnant left at all. However, you know, Noah was still present and mm-hmm. this eight. And we have no idea what kind of genetics his. All we know is that he was blameless and he would please God. And so the assumption would be that he had very little to do with any sort of the, the genetic alterations that occurred. Now, though, though, and you sort of wonder, was there any genes, any reminiscent genes left over from the Nephilim? Well, the probability is extremely low based on what we just find in the Word of God, because in Genesis 9, there was nobody left except for people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and not even the animals, right? And even the birds, if they did eat the carcasses, let's be honest, you know, not, it's not going to affect their genes. So I, I can say that like that wasn't like GMO kind of stuff. Is that <laughs> what we we have is a, a fascinating um, genetics, and I would say, and I agree with you that there were angelic like beings, but they clearly weren't angels because angels don't give are not marriage, right? So they don't right. marry their right. But so there were some sort of supernatural beings, and 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 forming giants. And I do think it is interesting when there were giants in the land. I mean, what was that, right? You know, it, it was Joshua Caleb kind of right, right, right. And so, what kind of what is that? What would that look like? Was it like a Star Wars kind of movie? I mean, all we know <laughs> is that we we do know though that giantism can occur. There are genes that are still you know in the gene pool that can give rise to giants. I mean, let's face it, Abraham Lincoln, what was he, like nine foot or something like that? Some of these, I mean, whatever, but there, there was, there's still something reminiscent in the, in the, um, the gene pool. However, though, there are racial variations that would just blow our minds, literally. When you go to China, I mean, if you look at some of the minority groups in Southern China, oh my goodness. I mean, they're like four feet, tall people right so yeah. we can really alter the gene pool and i believe it's very much related to epigenetics as a matter of fact hmm. because a lot of the ways the genes that are expressed can be altered via starvation 
via war, mm-hmm. via, I mean, environmental circumstances that can have major effects on our gene expression. So whether or not there, that when I says that back in the days of Noah and what it was actually like on planet Earth, there may have been so many traumatic experiences. We have no idea what the human genome looked like, whether we even changed the sequence or not. It may have been an epigenetic disorder, and it may have had some profound changes in the phenotypes that we actually see recorded there. So the Nephilim may have had, um, you know, alterations in it that were just based on the fact of the way the environment had been changed dramatically hmm. as far as the, the preponderance of sin. So, you know, I mean, there's that whole angle as well. So it may not have been a structural genetic change. It could have been an epigenetic alteration. Hmm. I, I was going to have another question kind of going back to, um, I just thought of this when you're again, bringing up the traumatic events. So I guess in, I was going to say in, there's the you, you talked about it earlier about the repetition of someone continuing to act out in these things and um you know the like the they always talk about like the neurotransmitters the mm-hmm. uh pleasure reward cycle that yeah. also occurs with um addiction um yeah. or i guess in the opposite way of someone that has ptsd it might alter their um you know they might be it, as an example maybe someone a woman that was raped by a specific type of person may have, you know, uh, kind of what I talked about with the, you know, she might not go or when she sees someone that kind of fits the same, uh, someone that has the same kind of attributes, description, of description, yeah. she might, you know, have this apprehension. Um, but I guess what I was getting to, like with addiction, if the epigenetics was able to be transformed, but, I guess, would they still have the mental propensity to reach out or, you know, it, is there a, a, a simultaneous thing or would there be, um, you know, I guess in treatment of addiction, would they have to deal with the mental, um, you know, repetition or that, that cycle as well as the genes? Or do you think if, or I'm sorry, the epigenes, epigenetics, um, or if, you know, the epigenetic stuff was transformed maybe the other one would come around does that make sense if the question yes, it makes a lot of sense and as a matter of fact this whole process of what happens with prolonged stress and when we talk about prolonged stress is that just like you're saying you know she sees somebody who looks like him day in and day out for example mm-hmm. and it just it reinforces this and, and the way our our brain learns and functions is very much like a plow going into the soil and creating a ravine mm-hmm. and over time that ravine is the only way forward right and and that's exactly what happens with this learned behavior is that just like you're saying the pleasure reward the dopamine serotonin circuitry is really the essence of the gotta have it got it kind of connection right, right. Gotta have it the dopamine got it the serotonin and that this that balance is really what the balanced brain is is really the way we sort of live our lives out as far as our that way habit is based uh, in our lives and you know this whole idea about extinguishing in a behavior of some form is, is the core of that is recognizing 
the personal recognition and responsibility of seeing this and understanding this in the nature we are in and confronting it. Mm. The minute we turn it into a sociological determinism or into some sort of a, a group, we, we join the group mm-hmm. and we are now the victims. Right. And so right. we put this banner over it. We are literally putting a lid on the potential for learning. We're putting our, our lid on the potential of seeing how God may alter this methylscape. Because we do have, it's what's so powerful about this, we do have within our being this sense of life force. We have within us our self, our action. What are we doing with the action that God gives us at that momentary thought, our thinking? When it talks about bringing our thoughts captive to the event, that's such a profound statement Mm -hmm. because we live within those actions constantly. So when that temptation comes, if there's a way of making a resolve for that, we grow on that understanding of victory. Kind of rerouting the the, the Exactly. Yeah. We we are rerouting the trough. Exactly. And that that, that learned behavior is exactly what it's about, discipleship and Mm -hmm. what sanctification actually means is learning those that's the constant state of the presence of god it's literally what it is hmm. dude <laughs> <laughs> we're both silent <laughs> i know it's like that's really what it is though and it all boils down to that you know i mean there's so many extraordinary genes that i could go off on about how they're you know the promoter regions and all that. But the, the bottom line is, is that something's happening within those regions that's causing that gene to be expressed or not expressed or poorly expressed and how its variation of expression is altering who I am. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, look back on our lives. We've been Christians for a number of years and look at how much God has changed in our lives. Right. You know, and then the way we thought we were going to turn out. I mean, right. goodness. It's amazing what he's doing. And it all goes right down to this sort of this physiology, for example. And that's why it doesn't mean that we should deny our physiology because we're just going to be these, you know, epigenetic. Epigenetics works very closely with our diet. Hmm. It works very closely with our exercise. I mean, all the responsible things that we should be doing. It's interesting that should concept is going to affect the way my body is going to react with methyl groups available. But for example, why do you think they give women, you know, folate for, you know, um, you know, prenatal vitamins, for example, you know, in her pregnancy, because it's supplying her with an overabundance of methyl groups that could be used for methylscapes in each one of those strands of DNA that's going into this baby. So B vitamins are cofactors that play a major role in methylation. I mean, all of this biology is we've already known this. And now we're seeing the effect of it. Mm. So, you know, it's that's why what you eat is really what you are. It's really the reality. And what you, if you, whether you exercise or not, your lymphatics are going to suffer for it. If you're constantly sitting down, you better be ready for a lot of warfare and all those lymph nodes because there's absolutely no soldiers present. That's <laughs> why we got it. We got to make sure that our bodies are active to the best of our abilities. Got to get our heart rates up, and we got to stop junk food. No soft drinks of any form ever. You know that kind of stuff. And that is so powerful for the way 
our body utilizes not only methylation, but you know, just the way the biochemistry works and all that. So, man, uh, well, we, we love we love Coke Zero here, and <laughs> good job, dude. No, <laughs> well, you're gonna uh, doctor's orders. You heard him, Stephen. Yeah. We got to stop. Oh gosh, yeah. You know what? It, it believe me, it's a toxicologist. Boil it, get it out of there. You know, it's just there's nothing like seriously. Uh, man, dude, this has been amazing. Yeah, this has been really, really incredible. Uh, I am so looking forward to what you're going to come up with when you finish your thesis, and and, uh, the connection. The the one missing part part there that you might touch on is just the ethics side of things. Once we understand the connections between this physiological as aspect of the you know the methyl and the, the epigenetics and then the theological aspect uh uh-huh. it, then there's that ethical side that has to be like the third stool you know third leg of that stool oh. well trust me the, the, well the department that i'm doing this thesis in is the department of literally bioethics moral phys- philosophy i mean it's all within <laughs> that that group so trust me it's a bioethical issue big time yeah right well, I'm thankful that the Lord has put you there, Lou. Oh, I, I'm thankful gosh. that he has allowed someone like yourself who truly fears him and loves him. Uh, yeah. And and is actually, I mean, you acknowledge that the gift of the knowledge that you have is from him anyways. So uh, yeah. the fact that he's put you there is no short of, of the hand of the Lord. And, and to me, it's just such a blessing to know that. And I want to encourage anyone listening to pray for you. And pray for your your team and all that's going on there because these these uh, this field emerging field of medicine could change the world. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, everyone's desire is to change the Lord, leave their mark on the world. But this could be, as you said, you know, antibiotics were a huge, you know, when, once antibiotics were you know discovered and then mass produced and used medically, it it literally saved countless people we don't even know how many yeah this could have a a multiplying effect on the world because of the way that technology is today and what we know yeah just the the ripple impact that it could have so man i want to encourage people to pray for you and your team and and the the medicine that's emerging from it the the care this is so amazing man i can you believe it's been over an hour no (laughs) (laughs) we've talked for over an hour but i want to have you come back on if we can i know you're extremely busy well whatever you i love you bro anytime (laughs) seriously (laughs) so maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll be in touch and we'll look at maybe like maybe once or twice a year we'll get you back on the air and if you're if you ever come back out to bethesda area we want to have you just come in the studio awesome we'll just make it happen we'll buy you a, a diet coke and um and a cheese dog and uh, get you in here. Sounds perfect. <laughs> Horrible. A, t- a Twinkie <laughs> and a Coke, man. Come on. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to be in Boston, or not Boston, I'm going to be in Brooklyn this coming weekend. Let's see my daughter. Oh, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, Lou, we thank you so much yes. for. Is there anything that you want to. I don't want to cut you off. Is there anything that yeah. you want to share? Anything else that is on your mind or. Oh, no, I just, you know, I, I guess you're absolutely right about getting the message out. And also just, you know, I'm going to be praying for you guys, too, as well, is that just by doing blogs with stuff, information like this and other topics that I hear you talking about, you know, we it's it's a warfare, but we can't we cannot candy coat it. We continue 
to be honest with what we know and stop letting it just be information. We kind of let that transformation happen by getting it out there. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you, and I'm so happy that you guys are doing this kind of stuff. So I'm praying for you as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, yeah. Yeah. Can't thank you enough. Well, Dr. Dr. Pastor Lou Wing extraordinaire i thank you so much for gracing us with your presence and your information on all out war podcast and a thousand thanks to you and um man we will connect with you very soon and uh and if anything happens cool that that you'd want to get information out we have a meager listening audience but we're growing so think of us as as an opportunity right on Uh, amen brother Well, look, I'll catch up with you. I'll give you a ring back uh, later on this week, all right? All right, dude. Love you, man. God bless you guys. All right, too. Love you, you guys. Thanks, Uh man. All right. Bye-bye. Dude, that was amazing. Yes. That was amazing. Dr. Lou Wing, San Diego, he is an amazing guy, a great friend. I've known him. As I said, I've known him for a long time. And what you got on... What in this podcast episode was what he's like all the time. Like he's never once waned in his zeal for the Lord. Yeah, and I'm just so grateful for that guy. Yeah, like every time I talk to him, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm I want to go preach. Up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I know our listeners are probably so blessed by this podcast, and it's been really awesome. Uh, awesome. So much information. Yeah, and I love what he said about the nephilim. So yeah, backed up what we. Uh, yeah, we uh, that's kind of cool, man. Yeah. So for those of those that are listening, also not only is he a doctor of blood, but he's and he's getting this epigenetic degree, his thesis, so he'll have that going. But he also is a pastor, and he's also teaches at Bible college. Uh, he teaches the Book of Leviticus, ironically, which I mean, it's not ironic, but his teachings on Leviticus come from the viewpoint of as a blood, you know, someone who is who's totally informed about the blood. As he went, as he jumped in there, and he was talking a little bit about that. So it's just really cool to have someone like that with us and um what an amazing podcast it was and so anyways man yeah yeah well i, I have nothing to add i can't <laughs> add anything i know right well look it's been an awesome podcast listeners hey you know what at the end here i, I wanted to do something at the beginning um i remember on uh i was checking out our our stats and all that kind of stuff and we have some listeners from gulf breeze florida I see you. I see you listening, downloading. Boise, Idaho. Santander, Spain. Awesome. And then we had a couple from Mount Cotton, Australia. G'day. G'day, mate. (laughs) So whoever's listening to us in Australia, Spain, Idaho, Florida, we love you guys. We hope that you continue to listen. Spread the word. And if you could do me a favor, if you're listening to this podcast, I ask you to just do us one small favor for us. Uh, as as just a, as a, a gesture of your goodwill to go to iTunes, leave us a review, and also uh, give us a, uh, you know, go in there and review us if you could and rate us because when you do that, we can defeat the algorithms, those evil Apple algorithms that keep suppressing this podcast from being known publicly. So if all of our listeners in one week would go forth and give us a review and and rate us that would probably move us up and give us a little bit more exposure and you know what it is i know how it, i know how you feel listener listen i see you with your with your airpods in right now at the gym or sitting in traffic you don't want to do it because it's your little secret that you have this little podcast you listen to. You don't want to let the secret out. But listen, you have the rights to say, I was listening to them way back when, episode 30, when they were 
nobodies. Anyways, we love you. Thank you for your support. You guys have a great week. We'll catch you next time on All Out War. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at alloutwarcast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.